Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom! Of all of the stories in all of the obituaries written this past week about Tom Seaver, it was a fact I learned about him off the baseball field that I found to be most interesting and inspiring. George Thomas Seaver, Tom Terrific, the most dominating pitcher of his era and some say ever, passing away last week at the age of 75. 12-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young Award winner, inducted into the Hall of Fame by the highest percentage of votes at the time. His statistics are extraordinary. 311 wins, a career 286 ERA, over 3,600 strikeouts, and the statistic that I find to be simply staggering, 231 complete games. Seaver led the Miracle Mets to win the 69 World Series, a golden age of New York sports, including Joe Namath of the Jets, Walt Frazier of the Knicks. And last June, it was a huge honor for me to be present together with other New York City leadership when the address of City Field was officially changed to 41 Seaver Way, a ceremony which in the days since Seaver's passing I've recalled many times. For all that can be said about Seaver, the most extraordinary thing I've learned about him this past week was that Seaver very nearly didn't become Seaver, as it were. Despite being the son of two fine athletes, Seaver's rise to the majors was not a sure thing. Believe it or not, Seaver didn't actually make his high school team till the senior year. It was only after high school that he put on the two inches and the 30 pounds that enabled him to throw his signature fastball. Even as Seaver pitched through college, he was training for a career in dentistry. He refused a lowball offer from the Dodgers, to which then baseball scout Tommy Lasorda replied, good luck in your dental career, kid. Soon thereafter, the Braves made another offer But due to an arcane major league rule that's too complicated to explain right now, not only was Seaver's Braves contract voided, but he lost his college scholarship and the NCAA declared him ineligible to play college ball. Eventually, and thankfully, the decision was made to hold a lottery for interested teams. And on April 2nd, 1966, baseball history was changed forever when the name Mets was pulled out literally from a hat. I love the Seaver story. I love the late blooming, once overlooked, zigzag, could have easily gone the other way aspect to Seaver becoming Seaver. Like Michael Jordan, who didn't make varsity until his senior year. Like Tom Brady, who was the 199th draft pick in the 2000 NFL draft. Seaver's greatness was not a given. It was nearly overlooked, and it was almost not realized. Throughout his life, 
Seaver was forever grateful for the gift of being able to play the game he loved. He knew that, but by the grace of God, it could have turned out very differently, but he persevered, and he had faith in himself, and he believed that who he was on any given day wasn't necessarily an indication of who he would be tomorrow, and he always maintained hope in the future. Not me, not you, not any of us could be faulted if our reservoir of hope has felt somewhat depleted of late. Here in New York, for the moment, we may be doing a bit better, but we see the numbers rising around the country. We see Israel going on another lockdown, a vaccine yet in the distant horizon, a stutter start nature to the beginning of the school year, a toxic political climate, and an economic and social recession that has cast a long shadow over us all. It's not just that times are tough nationally, locally, and personally. It's the groundhog aspect of it all. One day into the next, into the next. If there was ever a time to lean into some well-deserved pessimism, isn't this that time? Which is why, more than ever, we need hope. A big dose of Tom Seaver hope. Hope in ourselves and hope in our future. We need to know that history is not destiny, that no matter the stumble or setback, where we are today need not be where we are tomorrow. I say that not as a prayer, nor as some sort of shallow optimism. I am aware, acutely aware, of the aching loss and sorrow permeating so many lives. It is shared, it runs deep, and in many instances, it cannot even be put into words. But hope, hope is where it all begins. Hope is a precondition for all change. The great motivator, the prompt reminding us that recovery is possible and that though we may fail, it is always worth making the effort. Hope is a necessary counterbalance to inertia and despair the willed choice to stare into the face of disappointment and write a new page. It was a philosopher and psychologist, William James, who wrote of the difference between the sick and the healthy soul. Faced with the same circumstances, there are always at least two ways one can respond to adversity. With purpose, resolve, and generosity of spirit, what he called the healthy soul, or with indifference, despair, and mistrust, what he called the sick soul. Not everyone has a choice. Clinical depression, to be clear, is not a willed choice. But for many of us, most of us, most of the time, while we all may not choose our setbacks, the posture by which we respond to those setbacks, that is a willed choice. Hope is that posture of being, the way we need to greet each day. And we need to look no further than this morning's Torah reading, no further actually than the first three words to see this sentiment given expression. Atem nitzavim hayom. You are standing here today, Moses charges the Israelites. It's a curious turn of phrase, a prompt to which much rabbis have commented. You're standing here today. Why specify today? Did we think that it was otherwise, that this was some sort of pre-recorded asynchronous communication? 
The answer, I think, goes to the psychology of the Israelites who had wandered through the desert for 40 years and now faced an unknown future before them. Today, Moses is saying, you're standing here. A specification meant to exclude tomorrow, the day after, and the day after that. Today, you're standing in the desert, but tomorrow, tomorrow will look different. This week's Torah reading is actually a double parsha named Nitzavim Vayelech. Nitzavim, you're standing here, and Vayelech, meaning to go forward. Moses knows he won't enter the land, and his deputy Joshua is no doubt frozen with fear at the thought of an unknown tomorrow. Chazak v'amatz, be strong and of good courage, Moses tells Joshua. You can't be Nitzavim, you can't stand in one spot indefinitely. You have to be Vayelech, you have to be willing to move forward. It's not going to be easy. Enemies abound and you yourself will slip. But have faith in yourself. Today, Hayom, you're standing here. Tomorrow, we have to move forward. Rosh Hashanah is just days away. If you haven't yet done so, now's the time to put in your food order, download your machzer, and figure out how to screen mirror your iPad to your television at home. But of all the things you're ticking off on your punch list, make sure you bring some hope. We need it as a counterweight to the suffocating spirit of the hour and as a motivator for the year ahead. We need to know that who we are today is not who we are tomorrow, that we are capable of change. The heroes of our people, Bible, not baseball, are all people whose greatness was neither a given nor easily achieved. They all came from anonymity. They persevered and they grew to become who they became. Those figures whose greatness was foretold, like Saul and Samson and otherwise, they all ended up being disappointments. Ours is such a deeply problematic society that measures kids' aptitudes at early ages. Everybody pops at a different time, academically, socially, athletically, and otherwise. It takes the right context, timing, and combination of variables to bring a person from one level to the next. There is something deeply wrong and toxic about a world that tells a young person that there is any one particular moment when their fate is sealed. We are never, Rosh Hashanah teaches, judged based on an as yet unrealized future. Today is today, tomorrow is yet to be written. And important as it is to have hope that we can be different tomorrow, the upcoming holidays remind us that other people they're also capable of change. It's one of the strangest things, if you stop to think about it, that Rosh Hashanah falls 10 days before Yom Kippur. It makes no sense to first celebrate new beginnings and then look back for everything we've done wrong. Far more sensible would be the other way around. Until, of course, you pause to consider that without a belief in new beginnings, the message of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur wouldn't be possible. The whole premise of Yom Kippur is the belief that the person who wronged you is capable of change, that their apology does signal true contrition. What is the act of forgiveness if not the willed belief that a person is capable of change? Around this time of year, I always reflect on the questions the Talmud asks when we stand before the gates of judgment. Did you conduct your business honestly? Did you designate time for Torah? Of all the questions, the one this year that resonates with me most is Sipita Lishua. Did you look forward to salvation? Or in simpler terms, did you believe that tomorrow 
would be better than today. There are no promises in this world. I have no idea what the future holds. I have no idea if we will be forgiven by those who we have hurt, nor for that matter, if those will, that we forgive will prove worthy of our forgiveness. But you have to have hope. You have to believe in the power of tomorrow. And we will all have to leverage that hope towards working, towards making the ideal of the year to come closer to a reality. Eventually, as we all know, Seaver did make it to the majors. And in his rookie season, he'd already distinguished himself enough to be chosen to play on the all-star team in a time unlike today when it actually mattered to be selected. The sports writer John Morello explains that on the day of the game, Seaver was so bright-eyed and starstruck by his all-star teammates, he just couldn't believe where he was, and he proceeded to introduce himself to each one of them, including his hero, Hank Aaron of the Atlanta Braves, then in his 14th season and two-thirds of the way to breaking Babe Ruth's record of career home runs. Kid, I know who you are, Aaron said to Seaver, and before your career is over, I guarantee you, everyone in this stadium will too. Aaron's prediction, we know, would prove prophetic. Aaron later reflecting that Seaver was the toughest pitcher he ever faced. And as for Seaver, he would recall that exchange, the encouraging word from his hero as a turning point an exchange that prompted him to believe that where he was standing was only a prelude for what could come. It was in that moment that he acquired the hopeful confidence to meet the challenges ahead. I know who you are, and before this is over, everyone else will too. Said biblically, Atem Nitzavim Hayom, you stand here this day, tomorrow, can be very different. Chazak vematz. Let us be strong and of good courage. As Moses charged Joshua on the steps of the promised land, so to us as we stand to enter a new year. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.